evening, folks, and welcome to This Week in Interview. I'm your host, Anthony Drago. As we spoke last week, uh, if, you, if you recall, I um, we mentioned that there's a change um, filling the shoes of Dr. Thompson Fountain as the host of This Week in Interview. Tonight we have a wonderful program scheduled for you. We actually have Dr. Thompson Fountain as our guest. And we are going to put him in the hot seat, as he's put so many of the guests prior to this. And we are going to reminisce with him a little bit and also talk about his um, future plans, upcoming plans. We have some big news. And um, we hope you stay tight, sit tight, stay with us. Uh, you're in for a wonderful treat of a show. We will be right back. we take a break for a word from our sponsors, and when we come back, we will welcome Dr. Thompson Fountain as our guest. You know, there are many choices when it comes to domain registration, web hosting, and dedicated servers, but I have to tell you about Jocko Hosting. They're simply the best. With their 99.9% .9 uptime guarantee, 24-7 sales and support teams, you'll never have to worry. Get in touch with them today. They offer plenty of other products and services, like SSL certificates, managed WordPress, and more. Call or click today, 480-624-2500. Jocko.com. That's J-A-C-H-Q-O.com. We are back, and we would like to say welcome to a very special guest, Dr. Thompson Fountain. He is the founder of This Week in Interview, and he is the one who has carried this program for a number of years. So let's give him a warm This Week in Interview welcome. And Dr. Fountain, Welcome and thank you for joining us. Um, how does it feel to be a guest on, on this weekend interview? Well, actually, a very good evening to you and to the listeners of Dominican.net. It, it feels kind of strange indeed. Uh, after being on the other side of the microphone for so many years, you know, conducting the interviews, it's great to be, um, be the interviewee this time, and, and certainly it is my pleasure to be with you tonight, and of course with the TDN, TDN family, as we discuss, you know, certain topics of interest and shorts for all this time. Certainly, and and listeners, uh, we will be opening up the lines to you um, a little later in the show. We'll give you a number that you can call in. Um, so you can, if you have any special questions for, for Dr. Fountain, you will get a chance to call in. But for now, I am your host, Anthony Drago. I'm going to be your host, um, uh, in, in the near future as your guide and host on this weekend interview. I'm trying to fill the very big shoes that was left by, um, Dr. Fountain. He has done an excellent job bringing you entertaining and informative um, interviews with persons of interest. And I am humbled but honored to, to be asked to, to take up the mantle and to follow in his footsteps. Uh, but tonight it's not about me as your new host. It's all about Dr. Fountain and, and to let him know that we appreciate the, the very concept of, of this week in interview and recognizing the need to to bring Dominicans, but not just Dominicans, but persons from the region who has achieved, who has certain amount of experience, get them to be able to share their their expertise, their thoughts, their experiences with us. 
um, we we learn by by talking to persons of all walks of life who has walked the road before us and therefore can point out certain milestones and certain hindrances and obstacles that we may want to avoid or certain um, prizes we may want to seize on the way. But again, let me say, Dr. Fountain, we're very pleased to have you with us. I'm going to call you Thompson for the rest of the show. And, um, Absolutely. And um, we we would like you to reminisce a little bit. Um, talk about about the whole concept, the whole experience in, of, of, of developing this weekend interview. If there are any um, interviews that stick out in your mind, um, special moments, um, just... Just talk a little bit about this weekend interview and, and, and your experience as being the, the founding um, force, you know, the creative force behind the creation of this weekend interview. So tell us a little bit about well, how it started. Yes, um, thank you very much, Tony. Um, this weekend interview actually was um, conceptualized almost at the, at the beginning of, 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 in fact, I think the same, the same week. Um, that we set up um, TDN Radio. Um, this weekend interview was conceptualized because we wanted to kind of have a different kind of, of, of vibe, if you like. We did not simply want to be a, a radio station that simply played music. We wanted to provide information for, for our listeners, you know, on, on, on current issues, current topics. We wanted to introduce to them personalities of all walks of life, you know, and that was what was really the driving force um, behind this week interview. Every week, uh, one for one hour, you interview a different personality, somebody that has something to share with the listenership, and and that is what we try to do. And looking back, I must say it was a very profound time for me as an individual, and, and in terms of the people that we were able to get on there. Several people um, that we interviewed that does not, that comes to mind. I remember when we had the, the case in Dominica concerning the concerning the um, the citizenship, whether or not um, Bermuda Spirit was qualified to run the election. We remember after the, the ruling by the George, right. we were able to bring together a really excellent panel, including Sir Brian Allen, former Chief Justice of the um, OECS as well as George Irving Andre, a distinguished George in Canada, Dominican, and Mr. Gabriel Christian, a lawyer practicing law in Washington, D.C., as well as Mr. Crispin Gregoire, former Ambassador Crispin Gregoire. We were able to bring these, these individuals in one place and have them talk about, you know, what they what that meant, have them look at the interpretation of the law, and, and just kind of let the public know what all of that was about, and I thought that was a really excellent dis- discussion. And people from all, all across Dominica were able to call in and, and ask questions of this of that this distinguished panel. I remember as well having interviewed um, um, uh, Pius, um, or what is it, Pope Pius? Pope Pius Banis. <laughs> uh, yes, Banis. You know, someone who was selected a Dominican, who was selected as as the most outstanding federal employee in the whole of the United States and um, because of his work that he did in Haiti following the earthquake, the work, what he did to get orphans and to get the Haitian people 
to the United States. He was recognized for that uh, publicly in the White House. And I was able to hook up with him in Haiti and talk to him about his experiences and his life story. Really fascinating stuff. I remember as well, um, I'm, ba- I'm not ambassador at this time, but um, Sergeant Major Ralph Alpender, a very prominent Dominican who was in the United States military. He actually headed a, a, a contingent of military personnel in Afghanistan. You know, he fought in all the major wars, wow. and modern wars. He was in Haiti. He was in um, in um, Somalia. He was in in Iraq in the in the first Gulf War. He was there in the second Gulf War. He was in Afghanistan. You know, just a really outstanding military leader. One of the he, he attained the highest rank of um, the highest rank of a civilian in the U.S. military. And just see all his experiences and, and, and see that he came from humble beginnings, a, a very humble man from, from Grand Bay. And the city heights that he had, you know, he had actually attained. So these are, that's, that's a range of personalities that we interviewed. Of course, we had other interviews. So we, um, for example, Pat Aaron, yeah. about his calypsos mm-hmm. and his, his whole, you know, the whole influence he had on the modern music scene in Dominica. You know, and um, we, we, we've interviewed over the years just, just, just you know, ordinary individuals just sharing their, their, their story. Uh, for example, we interviewed um, Mr. Mackenzie, who has the nature island plant in, in Dominica, tissue, uh, trying to develop a homegrown factory in Dominica. Right, right. Um, just, just, just a whole range, a whole host of personalities. We interviewed the organic um, people. In Dominica, trying to push organic farming, Joey Peltier, and you know, there's, there's a number of different persons we had as well. Afi, not um, Afi Martin, we also had um, Alwyn, Alwyn Bully, talking about the literary festival. Just real big icons. Um, it, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> not not to cut leader. you off, but, but um, I'm listening to you, and I, I know my work is cut out for me. If, I, if, if, well, that, yes, if that is a trail that has been blazed <laughs> with, with those icons, I do, I do have um, my work cut out for me in trying to um, to maintain the standard that has been set. But I, I think it's a yeah, task no, that, right. that, I'm, that I'm equal to because I know, um, and listeners should know, that you're not stepping away from this weekend interview. Um, you will be there as, as, as a guide and support. Um, and also, absolutely, we do have absolutely. a strong listener base to support as well. Um, but I have to put a plug. I have to put a plug in there for Castle Bruce. You know, Pius Banis is from Castle Bruce. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. But, you know, but and, and I mean, just, just yeah. But it's just tremendous stuff. I mean, when you you started off with, with the panel, the legal panel that could analyze the um, the verdict of the court, and not just. You know, just laymen expressing opinions that's laced with emotions, but actually examining the laws and, 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 and talking about, about the verdict. Um, you know, the, the, the economic side, the cultural side, pattern is an icon in, in Dominican music. Everybody knows that. Um, everybody knows Absolutely. that. Absolutely. Oh, I also mentioned the political side as well. We had several politicians on there. Right. The leader of the opposition, um, the leader of the United Workers Party. And I, I should add as well, Tony, we, we, we extended on several different occasions. We extended an invitation to Prime Minister Roosevelt Scarrett. And unfortunately, he never, he never, um, felt fit to respond. 
well, let me set that. Um, let me set it as my goal. I'm, I'm, I'm going to set myself a challenge on air and promise our listeners that I'm going to get Prime Minister Honorable Roosevelt Skerritt as an as a guest on this weekend interview. I'm going. I'm, I'm yeah, but then I'm going to give it my best shot because yeah. because they, they, even even the local um, in the, the local newspaper in Dominica have difficulty and never able to get an interview one on one interview. So I guess it's something that he decided not to to open himself up for, up for interviews um, like that, one-on-one interviews. So, well, see, so I wish you luck in that, in that <laughs> regard, you know. Um, we definitely go try our best so, to get it. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. And, and I mean, also on the cultural side, we've interviewed the Noya culture people that are trying to do so much for Dominica's culture here in the United States. Noya culture, that's you know, Sabina, we, Sabina Mingo. Yeah. Sabina George Mingo, mm-hmm. uh, very vibrant and, 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 and just a tremendous, tremendous Dominican treasure, you know. Definitely. I have never Dominican met, culture. I have never met somebody who is so dedicated and committed and hard driving in terms of um, promoting and pushing, putting Dominica's culture um, on the map. I mean, I, she's right up there in her efforts with people like like Raymond Lawrence and and Alwyn Bully and 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 you know all the people in in the different chorales and you know over the years we, we're familiar with people who who've been really carrying our culture forward. She's right there as one of the pillars that's um that's that's bringing it forward into in, into this century. Sabina Jasmine, yes, definitely, without a doubt, without a doubt, you know, and. Um you know, so we have, and, 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 and I think, you know, one of the things that, that I was, I was planning on doing, I think it's going to be a good thing, you know, to extend it beyond just Dominicans, you know, reach out to people across the Caribbean region, to probably, probably offer, you know, people who are coming up with, with new material like books and different topics and so that's sort of interest to, you know, to the listenership. So we bring it out and have, so people can, can be, can be listening in, can be tuned in, you know, to what's going on around them and, and they can actually pass in what, you know, in what is happening. Certainly. This weekend interview is poised to to really um, work as a regional as a regional institution. As a matter of fact, two weeks ago we did have, have an interview with um, with a young lady from Trinidad, Arlene Arlene Graham. Um, she right. has the re- returning um, Dominicans Foundation. Dom- not Dominicans, returning Caribbean National Foundation. We had a tremendous interview with her. And um, yes, I, I, the idea is to take it to a more a more region-wide um, audience as well as, as our guests. Because um, in the Caribbean, we are pretty sure we know, we know how when we get together, what kind of results we have. We, when you take, for example, the West Indies cricket team, um, when we, when we put our minds to it, nobody can, um, nobody can, can touch us for years. I mean, you, so, so if this weekend interview can serve as the catalyst that can bring Caribbean people together and working together and cooperating as, as a people, we are certainly um, going to, to do our best to to take it region wide, um, and I'm, I, like I said, hello, I'm, yes, that we had lost you a little bit, Doctor Fountain. You back on with us? Yes, I'm yes, back. Yeah, that happened. Okay. <laughs> 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 right, um, but 
yeah, I, I want to I want to move a little bit. Unless you have some other interviews that 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 stick out in your mind, one of those, one of my favorites, um, is an interview that you had with Jones Murphy, um, oh, yes, and his yes. achievements and and the work that he continues to do. I I remember absolutely, that that interview absolutely. sticks out in my mind. Um, you know, and you had with different board members on on the various um organizations in Dominica. I remember you did a a chat with um. With Grayson, Grayson Stedman on, on the various right, stuff that he was right, doing, right, all the stuff with Pico. I, I, I know my work is cut up for me in terms of trying to um, continue the yes. mantle and to expand it and to expand it further. Absolutely, uh, but but I guess the, the I guess the point to note is that there there are just really so much you know out there. There's, there are lots of people with just so much that 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 our listeners. You know, need to be aware of or need need to know so whether it's talking about um, agriculture, as we did with Dr. Schillingford, or or sports. You know, as we did with um, the great commentators, David, you know, David Telemark, or you know, all of this is just, just just kind of bringing that in and 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 really really letting people know what is going on. You know, and, and certainly, and you know, you know what I what I, what's going through my mind as we as we speak is. For the, for the years that this show has existed, you've you've used mostly material from Dominica and 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 Dominicans, and you've been able to get enough personnel and material to fill the show every week, practically every week for for a number of years. And the reason why I'm stressing that is because too many times you hear people talk about we, other people talk about Dominica, and um, if we don't talk about our natural beauty, which we're not ashamed of, we talk about our waterfalls and rivers and that sort of thing, we don't really sound as proud as we should be of our people and the achievements of our people. And um, when, when you sit back and you think of the tremendous interviews that you've been able to have, and, and almost exclusively with Dominicans. And, and if we wanted to keep it Dominica, we could probably go for another five years and not run out of, um, of Dominicans who are achieving, who have achieved and are still achieving. And I want, I want to, yes, still achieving. I want, I want the listeners of the Dominicans out, out there who's listening to dwell on that thought a little bit. And maybe, maybe it's time that we start blowing our trumpets a little bit more. You know, and and hopefully the young people that's coming up will be going to see that, and and get some hope and some inspiration out of that, and and we start to change that mentality that we have that, you know, we're not as proud of our food as we should be. We're not as proud of our music, our culture. You know, if you if you play a Jinping song and it's not November, people say. Jay's independence is, you know, why you right, 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 right. You know? Um, when if somebody asks you what's our national dish, um, some people will say mountain chicken, but but when you go to Dominica, you can hardly get that as a national dish. So I, I think right, there, I, right. I, I think there is room for for that type of um, of development in terms of our pride. Um, we all feel very patriotic and have national pride, but in terms of manifesting it. In talking about Dominica and Dominicans with pride, and, and really shouting it from the rooftops, I think this week in interview has taken a leadership um, a leadership role in that regard. Um, 
Yes, and certainly, certainly, you know, and, and as, as you're talking about being, being, being proud, well, one of the things that I was really proud of as well was to expose or, or to bring to the fore a number of Dominican authors, individuals like Steinberg Henry, just a remarkable, remarkable individual, yes. remarkable intellect, you know, just um, having written a couple of books and, and having, having to bring it out there, you know, and um, Don Christopher the Fifth and... and there's a number of, of, of authors that we able to, to talk to on the show. Yeah, Gift Us you John. Know, and, 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 and Gift Us John, yes, and, and, um, and, and other authors. I mean, it's really been quite remarkable in terms of just the, as you said, just the kind of talent and, and gift that we have out there. And, and the output from, from a country with such humble means, you know? And um, I, I would like to see Dominica move from it being described as a country of humble means because I think with the, with the amount of brain power and intellect that we've all put it to the world and, and other countries have benefited from it more than Dominica has benefited from it. Um, I, I think more programs like this week in interview will start to bring that to the fore where we start to highlight those people, we start to harness their achievements for the benefit of Dominica, because you hardly ever meet a Dominican who's not very desirous, very of a strong burning desire to to contribute to Dominica, and somehow um, nobody has been able to build that bridge or that pipeline that would facilitate um, that happening. You know, um, so so again, I'm saying all of that to come back to the point that. Um, probably the idea of creating that show and and being able to take the actions to, to execute on that idea is a touch of genius you know and and, and like as, as what I'm saying we start by congratulating people and um, when they when they do such things that's noteworthy tell them that we're proud of them and, and you know and it's an excellent job and and we can st- yeah. we, we start yeah. there you know, so Dr. Dr. Fountain, if you were next to me, I'd pat, you, pat yourself on the back for us, you know, <laughs> and, and let's see how, how we take it forward. Absolutely, absolutely. So, so now that I have started talking about this idea and you, let, let's bring this conversation a little bit more on a personal level. Um, uh, and as great as an achievement as the founder of this week in interview is, it's not it's not the only achievement that you've had. Of course, I call you Dr. Fountain because you have your PhD, you know, that in itself is an achievement. Um, you've worked, you worked for the IMF for a number, a, a number of years. In fact, I, I would like you to tell us a little bit about the IMF and your experience in working in the IMF, maybe the countries that you worked with, the projects that you worked on. Why don't you take a few minutes and, and talk about that a little bit? Yes, you know, totally thanks for the opportunity, you know, and, I think that, that to me has really been a, if you like, a crowning achievement in my life. And, and in a way, it, it is kind of humbling because even to this day, I am still the only Dominican to have worked at the institution. And although I've been gone now for two years, I've left the institution for two years now, there's still no Dominican. So in, in the history of the IMF, dating back to 1945 when it was formed, I, I am still the only Dominican, uh, Dominican national, mm-hmm. who have worked at the institution. So I consider that to be a, a really a great, a great, a great. It is honor. a great achievement, definitely. And also a great achievement as well because it was a very competitive, very competitive process 
um, to enter um, because, you know, on a, on a monthly basis, I'm told that the IMF received some 4,000 applications on a monthly basis. On a monthly basis. Um, okay. Because everybody, and, and as an economist, but in economics, that, that is the ultimate. It's like a, it's like a, a physicist, you know, not a physicist probably, but a, a pilot. The ultimate for pirates is to be an astronaut, right, to join NASA. Uh, because it's only like an, a select few, and it, it's the same feeling within the economic um, community. And that is probably the, the biggest crowning ach- achievement. Um, it, it's really working with the IMF, if you're an international economist, and it, within the U.S., it would be with the Federal Reserve. You know, these are the two really distinctive organizations. So for me, coming from, <laughs> you know, from Dominica, as it were, and to be a part of that was really phenomenal, and for me it was a really phenomenal experience. Um, in a way, I, I, I suffered from some from some burnout as well because it was 12, 12 years of really hectic activity. I worked in several several countries. I think the highlight, probably the highlight of my of like my work at the IMF was was really working on Afghanistan. Um, in fact, in April of 2002. You'll recall that the, the, the Americans invaded Afghanistan in, in December right. of 2001, about three months after 9 mm-hmm. um, So I went to Afghanistan at a time when there were very, very few Europeans, very few Westerners in, in Afghanistan. I remember, in fact, when, we went, when I went to Afghanistan along with two other individuals from the IMF, the country was still in shambles. The, the, the Americans had just completed routing the Taliban and the country was trying to find its way. That was before the insurgency and, and the, the country was trying at other time to set up and I was sent there in my capacity. And you were in Afghanistan at that time? Yes, wow. in, in April of 2002. And my role was to really, really train the the individuals in the central bank to, at, at the time, they were introducing the the local currency, the the, the Afghan the Afghani dollar, mm-hmm. and my job was to work with the people within the bank to get that instituted. And at the time, it was just very interesting because that was when they were actually carrying monies in in, in trucks to the different out areas <laughs> to um to pay workers and so on, and then and then working. But I I remember you know <laughs> going get going into into Afghanistan or landing in in the airport in Kabul. And I remember coming and looking out the window. In fact, there, there, there were no commercial jet flyers in, in place. I, we had to travel to, to Pakistan on a regular um, aircraft. And then in Pakistan, boarded a UN, a UN charter plane from, um, from Pakistan to fly into, into Kabul. And I remember mm-hmm. coming into the airport and looking out the window and seeing all of those, um, all the carcasses of those planes, you know, all of the different planes that were bombed were still there, you know, um, destroyed planes when the Americans came in. And I, I remember seeing these, these blue helmet guys, the U.S., right there in the airport, sweeping for mines, you know, they have those mine sweepers and you could see them doing the work because they were still mines planted all over the airport that they were trying to discover. And getting into, you know, getting into Afghanistan, getting into the airport, and no electricity, <laughs> absolutely no, no electricity. 
And in fact, where we lived, there was no electricity there. And, and you know, sometimes in life you go through, through things and, and then you, you know, with the preparation, <laughs> you know. And for me, I wasn't faced because I was accustomed to not having electricity in Dominica. And um, there was nothing, there was no, no um, how we call it, the, the conveniences. Mm-hmm. All these conveniences were very, very primitive, primitive to the extent of what we had in Dominica <laughs> before, before, before right. water. So, you know, and you had to take all of that in stride, you know, and, um, and so no light. And then during the day, we would go to the offices. And, and at the time, the, 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 um, the individual was still the, the women. They were still up in their burkas, and all of them were in the burkas. But the fascinating thing about all of this is that once you got into the office building, the women, they would take up the burkas, and they would, they would have this, they would be dressed like Westerners, you know, in the offices. And then when they were ready to, to leave, they would put on, put back on their, their burkas and, and step outside. And it was a really fascinating country. But what I found at the time was just the, um, you know, the great desire of people wanting to learn. In fact, I was supposed to conduct a seminar one day for, and I, and I was told to expect about 10 people for the seminar. And when the seminar came, there were almost 50 individuals in that room. Everybody, even people who were not directly related to that particular line of work, wanted to get in. They wanted to, they wanted to get the experience, wanted to get the knowledge. The knowledge. And you just saw the hunger, you know, and, and the fascinating thing about, about Afghanistan for me and, and, and what really stood out in my mind, I remember going through but I, I kept a few of the souvenirs. I remember going through some of the um, of the manuals, some of the of the statistics and so on that they had in, in the central bank, and it was like it was frozen in time. It dated back to basically 1991, the year that the Taliban came in. Because you 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 recall when, when the Taliban attacked Afghanistan or came into came into power, they destroyed all computers. They got rid of everything, so nothing was recorded. Everything had kind of frozen back in time to that period. So the documents they had, the papers that they had went back to that period. <laughs> it was in 2002, and everything was dated 1991. And the last thing that was written. Fascinating, fascinating stuff. Um, you know, just really fascinating, really fascinating stuff. Can you hold that thought for a minute? I need to, we need to take a quick break. Um, this is this weekend interview, July 31st, it's 8.30 p.m. Wednesday, and we have a special guest, um, Dr. Thompson Fontaine, as our, our guest on this weekend interview. We will be right back after a word from our sponsors, um, Dr. Fontaine, stand by, please. Dominique number. Try it. You love it. Stay connected with Telenative.com. 
Welcome back um, to this weekend interview, July 31st, 2013. Our special guest, Dr. Thompson Fountain, is with us, and he's been taking us back over the years of his interviews. And um, just before the break, we, we were getting some fascinating um, insight into his experience when he went into oh, Afghanistan God. right after the, the invasion of the... Um, right after the invasion of the United States, um, December 2001. You said you went in there in April of 2002, um, Thompson? Yeah, that's correct. Yeah. And you were telling us about that your, your assignment in there involved actually setting up of the central bank, introducing a new currency, um, and, and basically designing an economy from scratch and <laughs> that that is that yes is that's exactly right. what it was that's exactly what it was because a number of the people um especially women who were back there these were people who were sidelined over all these years you know they were not they were not allowed to work they were not allowed to play a part in what the government was doing and you know and, and, and i mean the taliban they operated like a real i think they took this country back really almost 50 years you know back in time it's just it's just incredible you know that's incredible, and and I I remember how the, the fascination of the people to see me, you know, it was just like you know, just really fascinated. Fascinating um, to see you in what sense? To to see to see me as a black person. Now that that almost worked against me as well because some at, at one point some people thought I was an American. I was with the military, <laughs> American military. I have a couple of stories that I'll share tonight, but I have a couple of stories that were really really scary. You know, because the, the 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 security situation was not was not, was not very stable then. You know, mm -hmm. as it as it is now. In fact, in fact, I remember very clearly having a, a conversation. One time we met um, one on one with the with the vice president of, of Afghanistan at the time, and within a, within a couple of weeks of returning to Washington, he was assassinated. You know, and I said, "Boy, man, that was the guy we were sitting with just a couple of weeks ago." Talking about the future of Afghanistan, so, so the security situation at the time still was not ideal, and um, even even where even where we were staying at the castle that we were staying, there were there were guards posted outside, you know, with their sub sub uh, out of semi-automatic weapons and stuff. And, <laughs> and you know, I'm just speaking about it. It's kind of interesting because I remember at the time, 2002, they had issued us with this huge satellite phone. You know, and the and the and the way the way the way it works is that you would have to step outside. You would have to step outside um, to make a phone call in the middle of the night, and then point point the phone, hoping for breaking the in the clouds. You know, to get a signal to call home. <laughs> you know, it's just, just really, really, really fascinating stuff. You know, and um, yeah, but but that was that was one of the of the more memorable experiences of. There were there were orders and and um, I think in terms of just the kind of work that I did um, working on on a country like like Niger, one of the poorest countries, one of the poorest countries in the world, you know, and uh, and three years there, when there just a, I, I lost track of the number of times I traveled to that country. To Niger, it's a country that I I learned to to really appreciate 
But I said, the first country I went to in Africa, and I, that's the other thing that, 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 that meant so much to me. I, I traveled, the first country I went to, when I started this one in 1998, traveled to, um, the Gambia at the time. And I remember I was so excited because that was my first trip to Africa. And I was just so anxious, you know, it's almost like you, you feel the spirit, you, you set, you know, it's like hard to describe home, huh? it. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's hard to describe, but anybody, that's why I urge anybody who have, who, have, who get a chance, if they get a chance to go to Africa, no matter what country, just go. You know, it, it, it is a mind, it is a life-changing experience. And, and I remember traveling to the Gambia and, but the, when I was so struck by the poverty, because I'll tell you, Tony, I've never seen more blind people, lame, you know, and it's almost like biblical times. Right. Where you had throngs and throngs of, of blind people begging on the street, and you have um, people who are, who are lame, people who are, who are crippled, people who are deformed, and you have all of these kids, these children who should be in school and who are out on the street begging. And I felt that, and I understood for the first time what it meant to be poor. When I saw the depth of poverty, people having nothing, and and, and the suffering, and, and and the sickness, and and I mean, I was I was blown away. That was my first my first experience in Africa, and I was like, my God, I could never have imagined because nothing, even if even if you see the images on television or, or you read about it. But when you're up close and you, you can almost touch people and, and, and yeah, see and it feel humanizes. them. And it took me, it, yeah, it took me, it took me quite a while, you know, to get used to it. I remember, I remember coming back, you know, to Washington and, and, and weeks later, I would be talking about, and I would just, I would just start crying. <laughs> you know, I think I'm a, I'm a pretty hard knock person, but that was such a life changer for me and it was so depressing. That just to relieve in it, I would just burst into tears, you know. And 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 because I remember, I still have images of these people, and I I remember thinking at one time, but you don't hear because normally when you go to a country and you see children, you hear their laughter, you see children laughing, and, and especially in the Caribbean, you know, kids are always hopping around or playing, or you know, they're screaming, you know, they're doing children things, you know, and and. And I realized after a couple of days that you're not hearing any of that. You're not hearing laughter. You're not hearing children laughing. Children I was seeing were children with, with, with um, a little place on, on the head with a mango trying to sell for the day. Or they would put water in some bottles. You know, not even in the bottles, like in, in, a, in a plastic bag and try to sell that, you know. And, and my God, it was just it's absolutely horrific, you know. But, but, but that's the kind of, that's the kind of, of you know, of impressions. That, and, and, I, and I came away to say that, you know, whatever I could do to, to help, no matter how small or how, you know, and I'm glad later on at the fund I was able to work on, at the time the fund was just pioneering the whole debt forgiveness thing for Africa. And and we were, we were putting to, together, um, like, to have debt forgiveness. We, we called it the PRG, Poverty Reduction and Growth Facility, where... They were moving from, from, from just giving loans to actually doing debt forgiveness. I and mean, we call it the Multilateral Debt Relief Initiative. 
where you actually given the countries. And I remember working on Niger at the time and having to, to, to do the calculations to calculate the amount of debt. And it was just really, really uh, so pleasing. Because when you think, for example, the country was 740 million US dollars in debt forgiven. And the debt servicing would probably be $40 million a year. And suddenly they don't have that burden of $40 million to pay. But that money has to go towards health and towards education. And so, so sometimes, you know, you, you, you meet people that say, boy, you're working, you know, people have this notion of the IMF. And I tell them, well, that was IMF one. The, the, the new version of the IMF was a, a, an institution. And I came, I came in at the time when the was beginning to, to, to change, that move from this, I had no institution to one that was more caring. And I, you know, I had no shame in that, you know, in terms of, of, of helping countries to, to get debt relief. Helping countries to, you know, to go to the World Bank and get the debt forgiven or to, or to the Paris Club or to the European countries and get the debt forgiven. And to me, that was very gratifying because it meant that these were millions and millions of dollars that the country did not have to pay. Right. And, and, and you, and you felt back, like rather. they were doing something about all this poverty something. that you right, saw. Right, right, right. Um, and and sometimes the IMF does not get enough credit for, for those kinds of work. You know, you hear about all oh, the IMF measures of countries and destroys countries, but you don't, you don't hear much of that type of work. But a lot of that is going on now, you know, and, and that was started in, like in the late 1990s. And, and even up to now, it just continued, you know, so, uh, so, that to me was, was, was really, really, really encouraging. And I mean, I, I have, I have loads of stories today because many old like <laughs> I mean, I'm sure. In different, I, in different countries, you know, I worked on, but, but these to me were just some of the more memorable, memorable ones. You know, I also worked on Vietnam. I, I traveled to Vietnam as well. And just, just very, very quickly, you know, it, it's kind of, it's kind of, of, of interesting because in, when you, when you get to, to Vietnam, you know, you have all of this, you've learned so much of, you know, the Vietnam War and, and, and Hanoi and stuff. And then, so I traveled to Hanoi and then you have this, just this tremendous number of, of motor, of motorbikes, you know. Similarly, you have cars in the U.S., you have motorbikes, yeah, you know, that's what people ride on. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you feel like, you feel like a, you know, a 500 motorbikes coming at you one time and, you know, <laughs> and, and nobody stops at the, at the pedestrian crossing. So you just have to kind of walk across and then the, the, the motorbikes are coming and the cars, they have to avoid you. So you have to, and I remember the first time I'm stepping, it took, it took, it took quite a lot of, of that and effort. But I was told that, don't worry, it will, it will just fine, just do it, you know? So you just kind of step onto the road, you just walk and then the cars come around you. They just kind of, they find their way around you. They find their way around you. It's part of their They find their way around you. You just have to keep walking at a normal, normal pace. And, and I was like, I, you know, what, what I, I would like to ride, just ride one of those bikes, you know, <laughs> one, one of those days. And then you would not believe it, but one time, close to one day, when I was about to leave, the car that we were driving, that was assigned to us, I think there was something, I can't remember what exactly happened, and they sent a, a young lady on a motorbike to pick me up to get to the office. So I got a chance to ride. <laughs> to, to ride. Yeah, the young lady. <laughs> in Hanoi. Uh, yeah, stuff. in Hanoi. Right on my bike. Let me, let me ask you to hold one second because what I want to do before our time is up, I would like to open up the lines for if there are any listeners out there who want to ask a question or, or, or make a comment uh, of, of Thompson. Um, the lines are open. You can call in. The number, the number to call in is 206-8255. 
202-525-7231. And you can call in if any questions or comments you have um, to, to Dr. Fountain. Um, Thompson, I, I, I know we have a lot of stories. Um, when, I, when I was in high school, um, I wrote an essay. And the question was, what, how would you contribute towards the, the goal of um, food for all by the year 2000? And um, my answer was by Dominica becoming self-sufficient. So, uh -huh. so I, I hear all of your contributions on a global level. And now is the time I'm going to bring you back local, <laughs> you know, um, mm -hmm. uh, because because you said about 12 months ago you you resigned from your job um, with the with the IMF, and um, I was reading a story in the, in the Sun newspaper from Dominica that was indicating that the reason that you did that was because you intended to throw your hat into the political arena in Dominica. So I, I'm sure my, my listeners would not forgive me if I had you <laughs> at, at my disposal tonight and I did not ask you um, something in that regard. Um, so well, let, me, let me just tell the number again in case anybody wants to call. The, the number you can call and to talk to Thompson would be 202-525-7231 with your comments. Um, concise questions and comments. Keep it short. We want to get as many people as possible who wants to call in there. Um, but in the meantime, um, Thompson, tell us about um, your decision to leave such... Uh, I'm sure it was stressful, but it must have been a very gratifying um, position. And um, is it true that you... that part of your motivation, at least, was your, your intention to throw your hat into the political ring in, um, in Dominica? Well, certainly. I mean, in, in fact, that was that was that was my only motivation, really, because the idea, the idea was to was to. I, I always saw my time at the IF as preparing me to go back to Dublin because ultimately that's what I want to do or wanted to do. And in December of, of actually, you said twelve months, but it's more like two years now. In December, oh, at the end of of twenty of twenty ten, um, an opportunity presented itself in the sense that. There was a lot of talk, you recall, of elections in the air and the potential for elections in in um, in twenty in early. That was in the end of twenty ten, a year after the election. When the election was in two thousand and nine, mm -hmm. then at the end of twenty ten, with all of the problems the prime minister was having with his citizenship and so on, there was talk that they were thinking of calling an early election as a means of circumventing all of the legal processes. So. I left the IMF and I actually went to Dominica for four months at the beginning of 2011 with the, with, with the, with the goal or the intention of, of stringing together a partnership that would contest in the next election. So as part of that initial effort in the, in, in the first four months of 2011, we had, we had several, several meetings with the opposition. So we brought together the Freedom Party, the United Workers Party, and several individuals in the opposition, like um, Mr. Brisbane and and, uh, and Lennox Linton and Simatay and a lot of different individuals with the idea of elections should be called during that year and we're going to get ready as a partnership because we felt at the time that that was the only way to defeat, 
sort of fit the, um, the sitting party because I felt then at that time that, 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 um, the Labour Party had really, had really not served the interests of the Dominican people. I, I actually, you know, and I, I'm going back to 2005. In 2005, when, 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 um, I was pretty, very close to Pierre Charles, in fact, and, and when, when Dominica went through its initial, initial, um, thing with the IMF, um, and they went there for program, I actually counseled Pierre Charles on that. So, we, we grew to be very, very, very close, and I supported his efforts, a very sincere, genuine individual who wanted to do much for Dominica. So, when Pierre Charles died, suddenly, at the beginning of 2000, um, 2004, thereabouts, um, when he died, and, and then Roosevelt Scarry took over, then I, I thought it was a great opportunity, a young man coming into the fold and would have the interest of Dominique at heart. So I wholeheartedly embraced him, I wholeheartedly supported what he was doing. But then a couple of years down the road, I realized that, that hey, I mean, beginning with the, 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 the article that Matt wrote, um, million dollar assets on a five hundred dollar salary, it was clear to me then that uh Scarry had absolutely no intention of contributing towards Dominica's development, but he was simply using his ascension to the prime ministership as a means of gaining wealth. And I wasn't I wasn't going to have any part of it. So I thought that it was important for me and given my love for Dominica to do what I could. So at that point I became very vocal very focal in opposition to what was going on in Dominique and the way um, Skerritt was behaving. And, and so when we, we moved like that in, 20, in 2011, that was the idea. And at the time, we, we, did, we did a lot of good work. We, you know, we set up a, a partnership charter, for example. We set up a, a talking about a partnership between, we, 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 between the two opposition parties? Is that what you between the opposition parties, yeah, yeah. It was not, it was not formalized, but the whole idea was that the, the parties would come together, set up this partnership. Um, we call it PPP, People's Partnership. Mm-hmm. There was some discussion on, on the name, we never even settled on the name, but the idea was that we'd have a People's Partnership. Something on, along what happened in, in Cayenne and what happened in Trinidad, you know, and, um, we had a vision statement. We were looking at people who would contest different constituencies, and we were doing all of that work, you know, along with Mr. S. James and Ron Green and, and, and Judith Pestina at the time, who was the leader of the Freedom Party. And for, so for, for those four months of 2011, we worked on that very, very hard. And in a lot of ways, I, I was kind of the, the, the if you like, the, I, I don't say the inspiration, but the, the, one of the main organizers of that of that move because I felt that that was really the best move that we had to to make change in Dominica was to pull that coalition together and I so I, I resigned right in, in that time to do just that and then to contest the election but as you know things did not work out quite that way the um it pulled back because he realized he was getting traction in the court so he decided to run through the process of the court now once that once the election um, threat was lifted. The the desire or, or the the passion that people once had for the partnership dissolved with it. Okay, and that is something a lot of Dominicans don't even know, not even aware. Of, you know that that 
we had in, in, in very, very early in 2011, we had this movement that was really doing a lot of work to come together, unite, and to do certain things, to, you know, to change, but so, so that dissolved. So in that process dissolving, then I, I kind of moved away, you know, and I came back to the U.S. doing, started doing consultancy and so on, doing private work and, and the whole thing, the whole thing died out. But, but my, my intention is still there. And I have declared it publicly that I will be a part of the next election, whatever that is. And I'm going to offer myself to actually go through the process, you know, to, 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 um, to run for office. Run for office. Elections is due by when? Constitution. Elections is due by 2015, by May of 2015. Okay, so there is a possibility of indication. Yeah, but, but, but you see the, that's one of the, of the, of the quirks or the craziness, if you like, of, of our system, in that it is completely up to the Prime Minister to call elections. I mean, imagine, we were talking, we had an election in December of 2009. The government is supposed to be for five years. And by January of 2011, we were already talking about having another election. There is no limit. There is no, there is, there is no, there are no guidelines. It is completely, is up to the discretion of the prime minister when he calls elections. He just cannot go, he just cannot exceed the five years. So we have, we have an upper limit, if you like, but in terms of any time during that period. So although it is due in 2015, it could be held two months time. It could be called. The only thing he has to give 30, 30 days notice to the of parliament. But that's about it. So it, it, right. it can take place in, in three months. It can take place in four months, in six months, so, in a year. So, you know, but, yeah. so, so I, I mean, if for you for you to have given up your position solely with that, it means that your feelings run very strong and very deep. That and and it's something that you feel very passionate about. Um, you you also you talk about the the alliance that that was being forged. Um, largely with you as, uh, as probably a central catalyst, if you want to call it that. Um, and then maybe it fizzled out when, when you had, when, I guess when elections didn't call, you moved back to, to the U.S. Um, but you, you started broaching on some things that I think a lot of Dominicans, um, have strong feelings about, um, term limits and the calling of elections at, at the discretion of the prime minister, uh, what what I was going, what I would like to ask you, for example, would that form part of your platform? Would that be some of the things that you would work on if you if you were successful in your bid um, to becoming part of the parliament in Dominica? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I would I would like to move for having a fixed a fixed time for election. I think that is the way we need to go. You know, a fixed date. And unless there is some really unforeseen circumstance that you have it otherwise, but there should be a thing. There should be some certainty with regards to elections. Like in the U.S., you know, you know, every November, every four, no, four years, every November, or every four years, November, you have an election. You know, there is a, there is something about that certainty and, and that, 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 that helps the process, you know, and, and, and it means that politicians can, can, and less, you know, because because bear, bear, bear in mind, you know, you can have elections otherwise, you know, in the sense that 
if, for example, the, the, the government is onerous, if the government is oppressing the people and so on, they can have a vote of no confidence in parliament and so forth new elections. That is fine. You know, that is fine. That's the way of, of, of getting rid, if you like, for government that people are fed up of if, for five years. But to just give, just allow the prime minister at his own whim to call an election when he, when he wants. So he can use that to get his people, you know. If you have that certainty, then everybody can be prepared and, and, and you have something to work, to work towards, you know. And, and also, I like the idea of that certainty as well. And, and even the question of term limits. I don't believe that a person should run for as long as they want to. That to me makes absolutely no sense. It is, it has shown that if you have a corrupt and despotic leader, that they can, they can generate or they can manufacture the win time after time. You know, if you have two limits, that takes care of that. You can only fix the elections two years, say, or two terms, and that's it. You can't fix it beyond that because you are not allowed to run again, you know, and I think we need to have, you know, the kinds of discussions I think that we need to, to have in Dominica. Um, the, the, the question of the size of government, why do we have 16 ministers in a country of 60,000 people? In the U.S., there are five or six cabinet members in the U.S. for, for quite a while. You know, and so, so, so all of those issues I think that, that we need, and, and certainly when I'm given a chance to be a part of Dominican Parliament, and, and these are the kind of issues I, I want to take up. You know, and, and, and even the size, I think the size of the, of the, the constituencies is just too large. You have people representing, for example, the, the, the representative from Grand for probably represents a total of 1,500 people, if all that. You know? I mean, that to me makes absolutely no sense. So you, you would know? suggest, you, you would suggest reducing the number of constituencies. Is that what that is? Absolutely, that absolutely. It used, it used to be 11. It used to be 11 constituencies. We are now at 21. And that, that serves no useful purpose. None. You know, none. And, 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 um, so, so I would like to see some electoral reform along those lines. Thompson, I think we have a call on the line. Let me let me go to the phones. Can you stand by? Hello, good evening. Um, welcome to this week in interview. Who am I speaking with, please? This is Sam. Hi, Sam. Um, welcome to this week in interview. Do you have a question or comment for Dr. Fountain? Yes, I do, in fact. Um, thanks for taking my call. Um, he spoke about term limits for um, elections in Dominica for politicians, and I must say I do agree with that. That is one of the things that I've always thought would be necessary. Uh, but my question is, are there any other Caribbean countries um, with, um, with, such a, with such election rules? And, um, well, yeah, I guess that is the question, really. Are there any Caribbean countries? Are there any other Caribbean countries? Term limits term are limit? already in you. Okay. No, no, there isn't, there isn't many, and, and part of that is that most of the Caribbean countries, the former English Caribbean countries, they are on, they, they took the, the, the legislation from the same British playbook. Okay? But, there's one important difference between what we see happening in other countries and what we see happening in Dominica. For, by far and large, most of those other countries, they have an electorate that is 
fairly sophisticated in the sense that these are people who, who vote issues. So a government is not, is not, is not functioning, is not operating. They get rid of the government. So for example, in, in Barbados, you can rest assured that almost every, every ten, like, like clockwork in Barbados, the government serves two terms and they're out. If they're lucky, they serve three terms, but they're not, they're not going to serve beyond three terms. The same thing in St. Lucia. The same thing in Grenada. The same thing in Trinidad, you know, and, and, and for the Caribbean. The only, the only country in the Caribbean that's from that trend is St. Kitts. And we see the problem that St. Kitts is laughing now with a leader who thinks he owns the country. And even when he's in the minority now, he refuses to, to, to step aside. So, what I'm saying that this has not worked. And where we in Dominica, we need to do it in an artificial way. And the way we, we can do it is to impose those term limits. You know, and because it is working well in the other countries, it says that the electorate, the different, I mean, Dominica, look at the Dominican electorate. People tell you that they will, you know, Lama, the same attitude they have towards religion, the same attitude they have towards politics. If I'm a labor right, I will die a labor right. If I'm a freedom, I'll die a freedom right. You know, and, well, you can't have that. You know, people have to understand that because you, you have people supporting, even when the government is, is contrary to people's own interests, even when the government threatens people's own livelihood, they still vote them in. You know, so, you know, we have to protect ourselves against ourselves. Uh, Sam, do you have, do you have a, a follow-up question mm -hmm. or? Sam, are you there? I guess, I guess we lost Sam. Um, but Sam, if you listen, thank you very much for calling. Let me let me remind listeners of the of the number in which you can reach us two zero two five two five seven two three one. Um, this is this week in the interview, July thirty first two thousand and thirteen. It's currently nine zero two nine o two two minutes after nine p.m. on the east on the east coast of of the United States as well as in Dominica, and we have with us a special guest, Dr. Thompson Fountain. Um, who has been with us since eight o'clock? The the direct the producer has graciously granted us some additional time, so we are grateful for that. I requested some additional time because I thought this conversation was um, was very interesting, and um, it's a conversation that needs to be that needs to be had. So, listeners, if you have questions or comments, um, please feel free to to call in at two zero two five two five. 7231. As a matter of fact, we encourage you to call in. And um, this gives me an idea, um, Thompson, maybe maybe in the future, this week in interview, can maybe put a panel together um, to discuss these types of issues, because I am I'm of the opinion that um, the Caribbean, and I, I know you just said that it seems to work in the other islands, but I think the entire Caribbean suffers from um, the lack of term limits. You look at Jamaica and Trinidad, where for a number of years they just had serial um, leaders. They serve two terms, go out, the same person comes back after, you know. And and I think it doesn't augur well for aspiring young talent who may have leadership potential um, to throw the ring into politics. If you if you see that um, the leader is just entrenched and he has to die before you get a chance to be a leader, uh, most most. Uh, Ambitious young people would not want to um, 
enter into such into such into such activity. So I, I think it's a discussion that that is relevant Caribbean wide. But having said that, um, what what do you think about the the concept that the reason why term limits and, and that sort of those types of um, policy or constitutional um, arrangements don't work in Dominica is because the the opposition is not robust enough. Maybe like in Barbados, you have a robust opposition. So um, it's difficult for anybody to win more than two elections in a row. In Dominica, it seems right. like when there's an election, <laughs> the opposition party just fragments and fizzles out and then try to put it back together when there's an election com um, on the horizon. Um, exactly. Could, could that exactly. be the and answer to the problem? Uh -huh. Go ahead, okay. Yeah, no, I was disagreeing with you. I, I was saying that's exactly why, it, in, that's why Dominica called for that kind of of legislation because that has been the history of Dominica. As you said, the the opposition disintegrates once they're out of office, and the government dominates, and 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 you know, and then they come together on election day to try to get back in and. And that has been happening all along. I mean, if you, if you look back at the history of Dominica, that has been the history. So I think it, Dominica cries out for, for, for those kind. And I think it, it would help the country as well. I think if, if, you know, people that, that know that they, they have film limits or they kind of, they, they tend to behave differently. You know, uh, because what if that happens that if you have a, a, a really bad leader, what he's going to try to do is to remain in office as long as possible because he, he can use the protections of the state to protect himself, his personal thing. If he's been doing, doing, doing wrong, the best way to put up a, a prison term or to stay out of, 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 of jail is to remain in office. You know, and at the end of the day, his singular goal is to remain in office at all costs. So he'll do whatever it takes. It means rigging the elections. It means doing all kinds of, of Zazi Muzai has escaped by go, you know, that's what he would do. So, I think Dominica is a good, is a good, and, and I, I hope, I'm hoping that, that we can have those, those discussions going forward in Dominica. But the size of the government about the, the term limits and about having a fixed date for election. In fact, in fact, um, I, I must, I must admit that I'm the opposition leader. Mr. John called for just that in his, in his recent um, response to the budget. He did call for having a fixed date for election. Oh, he did? But obviously, government has, has, yes, he did call for that. But obviously, government has no interest in having a fixed date because that does not suit the style. That's but it's something that, that, that certainly a new government coming in needs to look at. A cynical person like me would say, um, until until you become the prime minister, <laughs> you have that desire, and then you become the prime minister, and um, you realize that that that's that's the opportunity to stay in power for as long as um, for as long as you know. Um, right. So so that is. Uh -huh, uh -huh. So so so, I guess I'm I'm putting the question to you. Basically, uh, not so much as a challenge, but as the opportunity to make a promise um, that 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 is something that you feel strongly, genuinely strongly enough about that even if the shoe 
gets when the shoe gets on the other foot that you would still um move to make those reforms um that i i agree are absolutely essential um for for the development of dominica um that even oh yes absolutely that even absolutely. That even when you when you when you get into power you would if you get into power or 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 have the the opportunity to to influence that is something that you would still um pursue yeah absolutely no no it does not mean that the person cannot cannot remain in government you know the person can be there as a, as a minister or something but just to be at the head you know and it's something i will i will certainly pursue whether or not i ever reach in that position but being a part of a party that is something i would like to i would like to promote you know i think the country will be better for it because it allows new thinking it, it allows new leadership it, People no longer get the sense that the country belongs to them, and that is what we have. You know, I mean, look at look at Mugabe in Zimbabwe for crying out loud. I mean, this is guy almost approaching ninety, and he will not give up. He will not step aside. You know, and and and, and that is a tendency within our our old race that we have that we have that that they feel that suddenly that place becomes theirs. You know, and and, and the way you do that is by imposing a limit. That they have to work with after maximum, let's say two terms. I think two terms is a really is a long time to make to do what you have to do for the country. And I think it also has a benefit that if you know your time is going to expire, you you tend to want to create a legacy. Absolutely, uh, rather that's than the key there. Yeah. yeah, certainly. Yeah, oh. yeah, you're hitting it right there. The legacy, yeah, yeah, because. So you have people, if from day one, they'll be concerned about their, their legacy. But if you think you're going to be there for 25, 30 years, you can still wait 15 years and say, okay, let me wait 15 years, and now let me start to think about legacy. You know, and, and you, you really don't want that. It does not do the country any good. So your legacy you know, is just that I was that. prime minister for five terms in a row, rather than saying I was... I was the prime minister who brought X development or X activity to the Dominican. Um, Thompson, yeah, you know, you know, and, and today, I, I mean, I'm, I'm very cynical. I'm, I'm even questioning the whole system that we have, this Westminster type system. I mean, I'm even questioning that. Is that the best system for a country like Dominica? In other words, should should wouldn't Dominica be better served if we had a, a presidency type of arrangement, and then you allow the president to then select from among the country the best people to run the, his government, you know, I, probably that would work better. Because what we have, you see, what, what we have with this representation thing we have in Dominica is that people get elected not because they are competent to do the job, you know, but they're the most liked. Likeability plays. So, in other words, so if, for example, you're going to have two candidates, a very serious, you know, um, committed person, a person who, who can get results, and you could have a drunkard next to him who is, who, who, who doesn't, is not worth two cents. And if the drunkard is more liked in that community, he can win the person who could contribute more. Because likability is what determines the election. You know, so, we can't wait to be aware of that. 
But certainly, I, I would you know, say that's, I, a, I, that's a liability of democracy in almost any setting. Wouldn't you, wouldn't you agree? Yeah, but then the, but then the, but then the way you circumvent that is do like in other countries. You have a, a presidential type of election. So you have, you, 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 the, the country votes for a leader and allow the leader to then select competent people to run the, the ministries and to do the work. And and yeah. in a system like that, you wouldn't have you you would still have a parliament, but not not the cabinet heads. Is that what you're saying? The, the elected officials, would right? Be you you will not have you will not have a representative per se. You know, I mean, you could you could you could still have you could still have. I'm talking about the cabinet. I'm mm-hmm. talking about the cabinet. Uh, you you will still you could still have your representatives you know, like representing the interests of each of the constituencies. Okay, but that that would they would not deform it. You will not draw your, draw your cabinet from these people. Right. If you see what I mean. Because, they, you see, simply because the people that you get going up, and we've seen time and time again in Dominica. So, I think countries was, was a great example of that. I mean, Rome was, was a, was a highly loved individual in Cassie Bruce, and I, I, I think he had a distinction of between two doctors, <laughs> <laughs> you know? But then they, when you look back and they say, but, but what, what did he contribute towards the community? What was his contribution? Did he bring? What development did he bring? Was he limited in some way in terms of what he could actually bring to the people of his constituency? You know, uh, but he got, he got elected. You know, I mean, for many people, he didn't fit the world well, well, just as badly. But, I'm, but I'm, I'm saying that you, you're almost relegated to a situation where likability is such a critical, there's such a critical role uh, 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 that it defeats the purpose. And, and not only that, it, people who are serious-minded have no intention to, to put, to subject themselves to go through an election cycle. So in the end, you end up getting, it's a self-fulfilling thing, you end up getting the refresh and, and not necessarily, I mean, look at, look at the big public's current um, government and you'll see what I'm talking about. Right, and 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 I, I I see that also. Um, but is it that, along with reform, um, term limits and um, election reform, is there a need for for building into the system a, a higher level of accountability? Um, and I'm, I'm and you you're an economist, so I want to move the the, the conversation in that direction. Um, sh- should we build, for example, a system whereby in the, in the middle of, of the term, or at the start of the term, the, the prime minister has to put in writing what his objectives and his goals are. And then at, in the middle of the term, um, he has to come in front of the people and say, we said we were going to create 500 jobs. We created 496. We said we were going to grow the economy. Um, GDP by 2%, we grew it 3%. And uh, is there a need to have concrete and measurable objectives and then reports, accountability from the elected officials? Is, is that what, what we're also missing? And how, how would that, how do you see that being addressed from, from your position as a, as an economist? Yeah, well, well, you see, that's a very good, that's a very good point that you already raised. You, you will question of accountability. Now, what the term limit limit does is that it almost forces that 
from government because now in other terms even make the two terms they have to be shown to be doing something okay um and 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 there are different ways different different metrics you have at the beginning of of its of its cycle government presents its its manifesto and that is the thing <laughs> you know a government can't they make all of these lofty promises in a manifesto and they go through the table office and nobody questions as to, hey, why is that not done? You know, why you said this? You know, nobody is held accountable. So you can make as, as, as much promises as you like in a document that you call a manifesto and then nobody sticks to it. That's, that is a big joke. That's one of the biggest jokes in politics. You know, this manifesto thing. Well, so, so that is why, know, that's why I'm asking, should, should it be more institutionalized than a manifesto? Should it be, uh, you, almost, I mean, if, let's, let's, let's check, take it to a corporation. If I'm hiring you to run my company and we agree on a certain goals and objectives, periodically, there's a formal review. It's not, it's not something that's subjective or, or, or can be airbrushed or whatever. It says, no, this is what this is what you said. You this is the performance we are targeting. This is the actual performance. It's better or it's worse. What are the conditions? Why it's better or worse? And and and, and should you be fired? Um, is there is there a need to have that type of system institutionalized in in small economies like Dominica, where um, you know the resource base is so small that that mistakes mm. mistakes have drastic consequences well well in a way in that in, in that guy i think it, it becomes more more an issue of reporting and against accounting because it's very difficult for example if you say at the beginning of, of your term you're we are going to create a hundred jobs and then you fall short i mean any number of events would happen there could be a hurricane there could be a thing I think it's more reporting. I and mean, what, what the U.S. has done in that case, the U.S. has a state of the union. Where every year, the president goes before Congress and the um, public and describes the state of the union, what has happened over a year. You know, and I think, I, I think it's something like that you would probably want to have because it, in the absence of that, it's very difficult. You know, well, it's very well, no, difficult I, to institutionalize those kind of checks. I, I, I wasn't, I, I... The State of the Union address is almost like the Prime Minister coming to give an address every so often. I'm talking about more where every quarter there's a jobs report. Okay, so maybe a quarter is too often for us. Maybe we do it once a year. There, there are job numbers coming out. There, there are, um, the consumer price index is measured. GDP is measured. And, but, but it, it, in situations like Dominica, it's done quietly. It may be published in the Gazette. I'm saying, is there, are we at a point where this should be a formal setting where it, there's a full report that something you have a report card and on that report card you have five or six metrics uh, and that somebody matrices that somebody can look at and, and, and check A, B or C on each one of those five items and, and therefore give the government a score. Is, is, is that the, the, the U.S. economy is large enough and sophisticated enough that when the job reports and those things come out um, by the response of the of the markets and that sort of thing, it sort of self it balances itself. 
in an, in an economy like Dominica, is there is there a need to actually have this thing written, whether it's in the regulations, whether it's constitutional, whereby you have that report, you have that report card that's reviewed periodically, so you can formally gauge, and 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 and, and the government is required to submit that report card before the public. Um, it could be. It could well, yes. In fact, in fact, I think I think as you said, this is this is this is already done, and but it's done on, on, on a issue like on a very on a, on a lot kind of a low level. Because I mean, in fact, when I was in Dominica before I left to study, that's what I, that's what I, I was doing. I would do every quarter. We put out a quarterly report on the economy that that looked at the at the you know import exports prices and, and employment and so on. And, but I think what, 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 what you're talking about is, is having, having government itself report on it or making it public, public knowledge. In other words, people don't really know it's there unless they find out, they go and inquire. But making it, making it more, you know. So in other words, the same way people here in the U.S. talk about, oh boy, somebody jobs created this, this year. Can we, can we have the same thing in Dominica? I, I think, yeah, sure. You know, um, even even the jobs report in in the, in the U.S. is an act of Congress, right? That mandates that this this information be made available, so we can do something like That's that. Exactly what I'm, I'm measurable indic- indicator. I see. I see no reason why why this you know why this can be done. And, and as you said, that will that will that will kind of help. That will kind of help for the whole accountability part of it. Because if if, if for example, you have every month the the job numbers are made public. The government has to react to it. They have to respond. So if if employment numbers are going down, the government has better take measures to make sure the trend is reversed, or else they'll be out of office. You know, so you can do that when you have a more sophisticated, a more sophisticated but, but, electorate. But, 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 isn't, and, 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 but isn't that is what that is what re- is required to get the electorate more sophisticated? Um, because is it is it the fault of the press? Is it is it the fault of the professionals that we have in Dominica? Because if if you're telling me that those those um, indicators are currently calculated, or at least the information is available where it can be calculated, why isn't it calculated, and why isn't it more front and center in, in the public domain that that persons can refer to it? And and maybe yeah, but but uh-huh. go ahead, go ahead. Yeah, no, I was, I was going to respond to that by, by saying, because it is not mandatory on the part of government to make it public, then the government could, could easily sit on it, right? Because it's negative. Right, so that's so what I'm saying. If you have a situation showing that, that jobs have been, have been lost, then as a government, I have no interest in making that public. So I see, I see where you're coming from. Probably what it should be is that it should be mandated that type of data be made available to the public. Because a government would not on its own publish bad news. Because it would make people aware. You know, people, for example, you can feel, you know, that, that there was a bit lost in Dominica, you know, but you, you have nothing to really measure or to go based on, right? Except of a sense or feeling. If, if you think the whole jobs are fake. You know, but, um, but if it becomes mandatory, then I think that's, a, that's certainly the, the way to go. Certainly, and that is one of the things I think that we, when we talk about re- reform, um, those are some of the reforms that that's required. Um, 
because accountability should be mandated. Um, it should definitely be mandated. Yes, indeed. So we 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 currently it's now nine twenty three. Um, I think we will, we have until nine thirty. Um, let me re- remind our listeners that um, you can call in to talk to Dr. Thompson Fountain at 202 uh, You can call in with your questions or your comments. I think the conversation this evening is, is extremely um, interesting. We, we started um, about your experiences with this week in the interview. We spoke about your experiences at the IMF. And um, currently, we we are talking about your vision your, for the future, um, your vision for Dominica, and your intention to contest the Monjon Grandfond seat. I think you said um, in in the upcoming elections. And um, further than that, we we move beyond. I think um, just personal and, and party politics, uh, and we've been discussing some of the the areas um, that needs to be addressed um, to, if we, if we, as a vehicle to, to carry Dominica forward. And, and we, talk, we, we talk about Dominica, but everything that we say about Dominica is almost um, carbon copy or applicable to all, to all the other islands. Um, in, the next, in the last few minutes that we have, Thompson, um, is there any um, other area that, that it could be, it, you could remain in politics or other issues um, that you would like to address. Um, uh, have you have you officially declared your candidacy? Well, well, let's, well, let's say that the, the, the people there's an, there's an expectation. I mean, I've, I have I have said it publicly that that is my intention, and I, I, I certainly intend to um, stick to it. And I don't forget to say that the intention is the next question that become who I run for. Also, you haven't. You haven't, <laughs> <That's> <laughs> you haven't decided who you have. So tell us. <laughs> Breaking news this week in the yeah. interview, TDN Radio. Go ahead, Thompson, tell us. You know, uh, well, it's something, it's, it, it's certainly, uh, uh, well, I say that, I certainly would not be wrong for the level party. That would watch his purpose. You wouldn't join, you wouldn't join uh, the existing government? I certainly not join the existing level party, no, absolutely not. I think, I think they've done enough damage, as it were, to Dominica and to the country, and I, I would certainly not touch up. Align myself that way to the existing party. So, are you going to form a new party? Well, well you know, my, 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 uh, if you like, my preference has always been for having a, a coalition. I'm not a, I'm not a heavy party, that party loyalty thing. I, you know, I, I have straight, I, I'm not a real issue. And that's a lot of why I am so, you know, it's a difficult to pin down because I've never really had a, a great love for this party ideology. Because when you think about it, the party in Dominica, there's not much as separate the parties as far as ideology. Ideologically, the parties are very similar. You know, so, so there is nothing really to differentiate yourself except on, on performance. You know, and, and, but ideologically, there's nothing more. So, so to, to stick to a label has always been a problem for me. You know, and, uh, but, I, but I understand that ultimately, that the nature of the beast, but that you have to, to, to align yourself to one party or the other. Ultimately, I'm presently at leading, I'm certainly leading towards the United Workers' Party. 
I've had I've had invitations from the Freedom Party to be a part of them, but 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 I, I just just on a, on a more realistic level in terms of, of where the constituency is. My constituency is is heavily is heavily that uh, look at party. I look at party one every year except for the last election. When we had all kind of shenanigans and all kinds of people being brought into vote and, and they lost by, by two or three votes. So, it, at, at, at its core, it remained, uh, you know, and before that, it was independent, um, during the time of, of corporate virus. And before that, it was, well, it was before it was the Freedom Party. And before that, it was, uh, you know, corporate virus. So, mm-hmm. in a way, and I, and, and that is, I'm kind of proud of my, my, because there is actually a willingness, unlike some constituents, a willingness to move with the flow, you know, to, to change and to be, you know, and to adapt. Are you uh, suggesting you know, that I, the Grand Monjon constituents are, are slightly more sophisticated now? Sophisticated? More sophisticated, more progressive, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> exactly what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you can see it in the history, they have shown, they have shown a willingness to you know, to bend and to move, you know, like some, some constituents that are going to stick with one party irrespective of what's going on around them, you know, so mm. that's what that is. Certainly, I, and, I, and, I, and I think we've we've come to the end of, of the show. Um, we don't want to um, take advantage of the of the graciousness of, of the producer. Um, but so, so let me give you the opportunity, Thompson, to... to Give us final thoughts. Um, tell us what to look out for. When do you, if you have a, a, a time frame, you think um, you would declare uh, officially a candidacy? Um, uh, are you planning to move back to Dominica soon in a, on a permanent level to start doing groundwork? Um, just um, final thoughts. Well, thanks very much for that. I certainly plan to do that because I, I certainly cannot win the election by remote control. <laughs> you have to be on the ground. And, uh, so that obviously is a function of what election will be called. My whole sense is that the government would be suicidal to call elections now because they just haven't done anything. They haven't performed this last few years. And, and, and uh, I still expect elections to be sometime next year, but probably later, deeper into the year, into 2014. Uh, I don't think it's going to be held in, in February. But I would suspect around the middle of next year. That is where I would probably, middle to the foot quarter of next year is probably the region I'm looking at. So, so, so certainly between that time or before that time, I will need to, uh, establish myself on the ground and that, and, and to be seen among the people. I think people are calling for that and I think, I think, uh, this is so. So, so that is where, that's where my thinking is and that's the way I'm pointing to at this point. Well, we thank you very much um, for your time, Dr. Fontaine. We we had a wonderful evening. This hour just flew by. There was so much to talk about. We we, we started in, in on the East Coast. We went to Kabul. We went to Gambia. We went back to Dominica. But now our time is up. And um, we would like to tell our, our listeners, um, thank you very much for tuning in. Um, this has been this weekend interview. Uh, our guest this evening was Dr. Thompson Fontaine. And um, look out for more interviews next week. It is now 9.31 on the East Coast and in Dominica, July 31st, 2013. 
Thank you very much for listening and have a good night. This is your host, Anthony Drago, and this has been this week's interview. Thank you, Dr. Fountain.